This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. I want to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. This morning we'll be concluding this series about the kingdom of heaven, and we'll be concluding with two parables that make the same point from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. As you're turning there, uh, just to give you a, an update on how uh, my daughter Emma is doing, she's still doing well. Uh, speech therapy is still progressing. She's still eating a little bit of pudding. I shared with you a few weeks ago how she ate half a cup, and that is very good. Um, I just can't imagine how her taste buds are dancing uh, to experience that. Uh, so we praise the Lord for that, but I ask you to pray that she would never aspirate. Uh, aspiration is where a bit of the food goes down into her lungs, which can be, be a bad thing. Uh, so just pray that God would protect her from that and prevent that from happening and that she'll continue to be able to enjoy food uh, through her mouth. So thank you for your prayers in that regard. I draw your attention now to Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus is in a time where he is sharing different parables that make a point about what the kingdom of God is like. And this morning, as I said, we'll be looking at two parables that make the same point. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. May the Lord be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. In 1998, Frito-Lay, the potato chip manufacturer, manufacturer, came out with what every junk food junkie and chip lover had always prayed for. A fat-free potato chip that actually tasted like a potato chip. This product was promoted as one that would be good for you, healthy for you, as well as not taste like cardboard. The secret, according to Frito-Lay, is that it contains something called olestra. Olestra is a chemical that added flavor, but would not be absorbed by the body because the molecules of olestra were so large that they would not be absorbed in the body, but would simply pass through the digestive tract. Pass through being the optimum phrase. Here. Because what was discovered after wow potato chips were released to the market is that they indeed passed through very many people. 
There was much promise with this product. No small amount of money was spent hyping how wonderful this would be, only to find that it did not live up to its promises. Upon reading the passage this week and studying it, I began to wonder if we are at times guilty of overselling Christianity. Hear me out, if you will. In our zeal to win people to Christ, to convince them of the truth of the gospel, could it be that we are guilty at times of overpromising? It's very easy to try to present the gospel that if you believe, all of your problems will go away. If you will confess Christ, your conflicts will cease. If you will trust Him as your Savior, your trials and your tribulations will vanish. But Jesus never promised any of those things. In fact, Jesus said, If you follow me, the world will hate you. If you follow me, your family and your friends may not understand your radical love for me. Jesus was very clear that to follow him meant that trials and tribulations may very well be your constant companions. Jesus never oversold what it meant to follow him. In fact, he pointed out the challenges of following him. So it begs the question, once we realize what Jesus said about following him, Why seek the kingdom of God? If following his leadership here means that we will face difficulties and challenges, then why would we live and seek to live under his reign? And the answer is revealed in these parables. Why would we seek God even though it may bring about suffering? It's because the kingdom of God is valuable above all things. Why would we trust God when trusting Him will bring trials? Because the kingdom of God is valuable among and above all things. That is the singular point of these two parables. The kingdom of God is of such great value that giving up everything to possess it and be a part of it is entirely reasonable. These two parables present two men. One is portrayed as a a regular guy taking a walk through a field. The other is a merchant, a businessman, a jeweler, if you will, who is always on the lookout for that one jewel that will make him rich. The interesting thing is that these two men start out with different purposes. With the first man, you get the feel. He's not really looking for anything, and then he happens upon the kingdom of God. And it's a reminder to us that our Lord works in mysterious ways. 
There are those who may not even be looking for the kingdom, but God places in their path people like you, people like me, that share the gospel, and before they know it, they have found the kingdom when they were not even looking. And then there are others like the merchant. They're on a quest to discover the truth. They are cut from the same cloth of of Nicodemus who came questioning, seeking. They are, are wanting to know the truth. And God works in their lives by placing the truth of the gospel in front of them. So although these two men may have set out on different paths, they both discovered a great treasure. A treasure so great that they both respond in the same way. They sell everything they have to obtain this treasure. Now I must urge us to interpret the parables with care. Parables are not always presented as allegories. Now an allegory is where one part of the story equals to and equivalent or is equivalent to some truth. Now there are times where Jesus does that. For example, the parable of the seed cast upon different types of soil. He says the seed is the word of God. The rocky soil is the soil that finds no the heart that finds no root in it. I would submit to you that interpreting the parables, we should not interpret them as allegories unless Jesus himself does. A common truth with the parables is that they have one main point. Now I say that so that we do not read too much into the fact that they sold things to obtain the kingdom. This is not teaching about atonement. This is not in any way teaching us that our sacrifice saves us or that we can buy salvation in any way. Our good works cannot atone for our sin before God. Living righteously is something that you and I cannot do because we are dead in our sin. The scripture is clear that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not of any work that we can do. The scripture is clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Jesus is teaching us here not that we earn or buy salvation in any way. Salvation is free, but he is reminding us that discipleship is costly. He is teaching us that the kingdom of God is so valuable that to follow it means that we must give up everything to be followers of Jesus, not to earn salvation but to recognize that we cannot hold on to the things of this world and follow Christ. I've read that years ago in a a village in southern India, this village had a particular problem. It was located on the edge of the jungle and monkeys would come out and steal the food from the villagers. This took place well over a hundred years ago, so they devised a series of traps to capture the monkeys. The traps were ingenious. They bore a hole into coconuts, emptied the coconuts out, and they placed rice into the coconut. 
The hole was large enough that a hand, a monkey's hand, could fit through it. But when it grabbed the rice and tried to pull its hand out, it would not fit through the hole. The coconuts would be placed around the village and staked down. And they caught hundreds of monkeys. Because once the monkey reached in and grabbed the rice, it would not let go. Letting go would have brought freedom. But in the animal's desire for food, it refused to let go. The image becomes clear. We cannot hold on to the things of this world and cling to Christ. What's keeping us from the kingdom? Are there relationships that we are holding on to? Thinking, I don't want to give that up. Even though I know, I know that it is leading me away from Christ. Could it be a lifestyle that we are clinging to thinking, I do not want to give this up. And we are following the pattern of this rich young man who came to Jesus one day and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you've read the Torah. And the man said, I've kept it all. I'm righteous. I'm good. And Jesus said, yes, but there's one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and then follow me. And this rich young ruler who understood what Jesus was saying held on to his riches and walked away in slavery rather than letting go and experiencing the freedom of Christ. For some, it's not something external to us that we need to let go of to follow and be in the kingdom. For some of us, it may be anger. That we are living with a pain of wrongs done to us that we refuse to let go of. And that anger is corroding our souls like rust on metal. And rather than release it to the Lord and say, God, let your grace flow through me that I might experience the life and the power of the kingdom. We hold on to anger, feeling a righteous, a self-righteous vindication. The anger that's destroying you can be cured by the grace of God. Let go of it. I'm often reminded when I think of letting go of things to follow Christ, the words of the martyr Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott and a group of missionaries were martyred in Ecuador in January of 1956. In his journals found after his death, he had written these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is simply echoing the words of Jesus that Jesus spoke in Matthew 19, 29. Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, this begs a question when you look at the words of Jesus here. I can understand how you get a hundredfold lands. 
But what about the relationships? How are those in some way given, you given more of? And I think the answer is not just looking to the time when we dwell in the new heaven and the new earth and the love of God overflows in our lives and that we feel those relational loves that we so hunger for. But I think they're fulfilled even now. Within the body of Christ. Church, that when a person comes to faith, we need to recognize that they are becoming a part of the family of God, the family represented at this specific place, this specific locale as Trinity. Meaning that if there is one that God brings into our fellowship whose family has rejected her or kicked him out, that all of a sudden they find within our fellowship a hundred fathers, a hundred mothers that are willing to say, you are loved, I am here with you, walking beside you. That's where speech about the family of God becomes not just theoretical platitudes, but becomes a reality as we open our lives to give the love of God and to experience it. The men of these parables demonstrate the truth of giving up all to follow Christ. But notice something very unique about how they gave things up because the thought of giving up lands, of giving up of houses, of giving up relationship scares us. But notice the description in verse 44 of this man who sells all that he has to buy the field. Three words, in his joy. And although the words are not written in verse 46 describing the merchant, I feel like it is implied that both of these men respond to this treasure with joy. The only reason, think about this, why in the world would you sell everything you had unless what you believed you were getting is so much better than what you have you can let go of everything saying, I'm getting the best return on getting rid of everything. That there is a greater joy to gain by giving up the things we're clinging to than the joy we believe those things give us. But many don't think of the kingdom of God like that. They don't think of the kingdom of God as, as joy. You see, to many people, the kingdom of God is about rules and regulations. To many, it's about condemnation rather than salvation. It's about a, a judgmentalism rather than joy. Those are misrepresentations of the kingdom of God. In the latter part of the book of Romans, Paul is writing to address some problems the church was dealing with. Some of the problems they were dealing with were where some members felt like you should not eat any meat. Some were vegetarians. And it was causing some conflict. Some felt like you should worship still on Saturday. Others felt you should worship on Sunday. And it was causing friction within the fellowship. So as Paul is writing to them, look at what he says. He says the kingdom of God is not about, is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about rules and regulations, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why I can state confidently without overselling Christianity that the very things we are looking for in life are found in the kingdom of God. Look at those three things. Righteousness. 
Righteousness speaks of a relationship with God, a rightness with God. And that's a sense of serenity that all is well, that belies our anxiety about what awaits us to say, I am right with God, therefore what have I to fear? Peace is the idea of shalom, well-being, joy. Are we not seeking joy in the things that we buy and do? We sin because we think that is what will give us joy and satisfaction. The problem is those are lies and what promises to bring us joy results in death. What we are looking for is found in the kingdom of God. You see, behind greed, for example, is the desire for security and power and joy. If we are seeking power in greed, we will come to the realization that we are indeed powerless because no amount of money can reverse death. We're powerless in the face of it. We look for security. But my goodness, if you keep an eye on the stock market in the last two weeks, there is no security in the things of this world. Joy. We buy things. We look for things to give us joy. But I love the words, the lyrics of a song from the Christian rock group Whiteheart, where they said, the things we just had to have are the highlight of somebody's yard sale. Joy, but for a moment. So understand that I am not standing up here to tell you that if you follow God and you believe in Jesus and you are part of the kingdom, that all your problems will go away. But I will promise you, you can have peace in the midst of the problems. I'm not telling you that all of your crises will disappear should you follow Christ. But I'm telling you that in the spirit, you can experience a calmness in crisis. Following the kingdom of God does not mean that trials and tribulations will leave you, but... You will know and live in the confidence that Jesus has overcome this world. And the trials and the tribulations are but momentary. The kingdom of God is what we are looking for. And the way into the kingdom is faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning I ask you, what is keeping you from believing in him? If you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, confessing Him as your Savior, I invite you this morning to do that. And believer, the, the decision may have been settled for you long ago. But it is very easy for us to fall back into patterns of thinking and behaving so that we begin to cling to the things of the past, to the sins that we believed we had let go of. So that we find ourselves enslaved again. There is freedom in the cross. Look to him today. Bow with me if you will. Heavenly Father. Words even this morning fail me to describe the goodness of your character. The joy of your kingdom. And the love that is found in you. But Father, I'm firmly convinced that the things we are looking for, the true things we're looking for, things of the heart and the spirit are found in you, O Lord. So Father, I pray that you would draw us unto yourself. 
Father, right now, I pray for your spirit to work within us. Reveal what we are clinging to. Reveal the things that are inhibiting us from experiencing the fullness of your joy and grace. Lord, grant us the power and the wisdom to let go. In Jesus' name, amen.